You're listening to Deep Cuts with Antoine Reed, episode 28, James Brown, Black Label Trading Company. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was like, when I started to do this, I was, you were definitely one of the people on the on my list that I wanted to have on and, and talk to for about an hour. So um, thank you for yeah, accepting. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. You know, I was just like, I was just scrolling through the Black Label uh, Instagram page and I saw all the shoes and so it happens all the shoes are behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it you're, you're yeah, a big fan. It's my of office. Shoes. <laughs> I'm a big sneaker guy for sure. Yeah. It's definitely, wow. uh, you know, my, my passion right there under tobacco and cigars. So. How many pair do you have? Um, I haven't really counted in a while, but I don't know, maybe 300, 250, something like that. Oh God. I was watching, uh, on Disney plus they have that, um, documentary series where they go and explore different um, passions that people have and, and sneakers were, was one of those episodes the um, show with Jeff Goldblum and you know he was speaking to everybody who, who's yeah, yeah, yeah. These big, yeah. big sneaker conventions and I thought that was pretty um, interesting because I'm, I'm definitely not a shoe person but you know just that whole world <laughs> of collecting and, and how they were talking about it I mean I think we all have something that we're passionate about like that that nobody else really understands <laughs> yeah but. yeah definitely yeah everybody's really good um we just reopened the factory on monday so we've been you know busy getting getting things back to normal over there um so yeah everything everything here is pretty chill pretty good and all your workers are are back or are you, are you doing a phase kind of opening um, didn't have of people to begin with you know i mean we're, we're fully staffed we're about 50 people um you know and we're pretty spread out so yeah we we kind of moved some stuff around and, and rearranged it but for the most part yeah everybody's back um you know we're not back up to full production yet uh just because you know exports aren't really going yet and things like that and things in the u.s obviously haven't picked back up so yeah we're just kind of taking it slow and and getting back in the groove. Cool. Well, what I wanted to do with Deep Cuts was kind of interview different people in the industry, kind of get their um, history and talk about how they got into cigars and how they've been building up their brand. So, um, you know, like I've start, like I said at the beginning, you were one of those people I wanted to talk to because I remember I met you all at my first IPCR, which is IPCR 2015 in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I think you had just come out then and you had like this big debut. You had like a whole bunch of lines that kind of debuted at one time, um, if I recall correctly. Um, and since then, I mean, you, you've continued to grow and you've added on like you were just talking about the factory and um, some other little brands like Black Work Studios. So what made you want to get into cigars to begin with? Um, you know, my story is a pretty different than most people. So, I mean, I had been a, a cigar smoker for a long time. 
Um, and my wife and I have been, you know, we've been living abroad for a while and, and we owned a travel company that, that went all throughout Central America. Um, and we included Nicaragua in a lot of our trips. And since I was a, a cigar smoker, I, I wanted to include SLE. I wanted to include the factories and, and see that side of it. And so I got to meet a lot of people on the Nicaraguan side, on the manufacturing side. Um, and I didn't really know anybody when we started in the U.S. side of things. So I, I didn't have, you know, friends in cigar groups. I didn't have connections to a retailer. I didn't know a sales rep. I didn't know anybody. Um, so I kind of fell in love with the, the manufacturing side, the, the Nicaraguan side of the industry. Um, and so, you know, the more time I spent in Nicaragua, uh, the more interested I became and wanted to try to learn as much as I could about tobacco and, and cigar making and spent a couple of years just uh, within all my free time trying to learn as much as I could. And then I wanted to, to take that knowledge and develop a line of cigars for our travel company, for our customers to buy and smoke uh, on the trips. And so I, I did that and people really fell in love with the, the product and, you know, wanted to know where they could buy it when the trip was over. And that kind of sparked this idea of maybe doing, you know, a little more uh, of the cigar business. And so, you know, we started Black Label in late 2012 and, it's just kind of a very small side project and kind of shopped it around here and there in the States. And, you know, um, it was just kind of a fun thing to do. And then it just kind of started taking off and kind of built this cult following online and, um, you know, more and more retailers were wanting to pick it up. And so, you know, long story short, uh, the brand really started to take off and we ended up selling our travel company and going to cigars full time. What's been a what's been the biggest challenge for you as you've been trying to grow your company? Um, you know, I think everything in the cigar business <laughs> is challenging, way more challenging than people uh, think it is. Um, I mean, I think our main goal was to put out a product that was unique and that was different, and that when people pick it up and light it, they know they're smoking a Black Label or a Black Works. You know, and I think with the sea of brands that are out there and in somebody's humidor that's that's a difficult thing you know we're all uh making good cigars nowadays and you know all mostly out of nicaragua dominican so um the struggle is always to be unique and different and create a cigar that really stands out um you know and like i said that was our goal and i think we've done that uh, but it is always a challenge you know and and the other the other big challenge in this industry is you know we're we're all fighting a lot of uphill battles when it comes to regulations and things like that and you know trying to support our our brick and mortar retailers and you know just keeping keeping the industry alive and keeping people you know interested in cigars and and just continuing to try to move forward and grow the industry like with your brand um I noticed that's like what, what caught my eye when I was walking through that trade show floor in 2015 was, you know, you have, you look at the, the, the designs and the marketing and the branding for all these brands and they're very like traditional, you know, your golds, your, your reds, your bold colors. And then, you know, your brand is, is there and it's like edgy attitude. The, the vibe is completely different. So like when it came time to, you know, create a cigar, like what made you decide to go kind of completely like left field? with the design rather than kind of try to make something that's more traditional 
and look and and marketing and branding wise? I mean, I just, I don't feel like there's any reason to replicate what's already been done, you know, and for me, for, for the brand to work, um, you know, it had to be authentic. It had to be a representation of myself, a representation of Angela, you know, it had to put ourselves into the product. And, you know, as a consumer for a long time, I didn't really feel like walking through a humidor in terms of branding and marketing, there wasn't much that jumped out to me personally. You know, like you said, it's kind of a sea of red and gold and a bunch of Spanish names that you can't necessarily pronounce or know what it is. And so, you know, it was important for us to create not only cigar brand, but we wanted to create a lifestyle brand, you know, something that people could really feed into. And, you know, um, that's kind of what sparked the whole idea with the black sheep thing, you know, which, you know, we have a, our awesome customer base, you know, they all pride themselves on being the black sheep, you know, because it really is more of a, uh, it's more of a lifestyle brand, you know, that's, that's how we want it to come across. And when it comes to term, in terms of like marketing and like you said, connecting with the consumers, like what's been your approach? Because I know like the, when I first started in the industry, I mean, everybody wanted to do like print advertising and it was like, if you weren't in cigar aficionado, then, <laughs> you know, it was a completely uphill battle from you from there. And then it, it's gradually been evolving, you know, so now it's, you know, people are doing web advertising, they're doing, still doing some print advertising, you know, they're taking marketing and advertising to their own hands with, you know, thanks to social media. What's been your approach? What has, what's worked for you and Angela? Uh, you know, for us from the beginning, we've, we've kind of, just not done marketing, you know, and, and we've took a, taken a very grassroots approach with the brand and, and with everything that we've done. And, you know, like I said, we were really fortunate early on that a lot of people latched onto the brand um, and started, you know, this kind of cult following on social media, which has been awesome and has really driven the brand for the last seven years. Um, but that's really what we go by is, you know, it's, it's more important for me to have a consumer out there posting my product and talking about it than, you know, me posting a picture of the product and, and, and trying to get somebody to buy it, you know, so we definitely rely on that. And it's been awesome to see the growth through social media, um, you know, and it's something where I couldn't imagine doing this, you know, 10, 12 years ago without social media. It's been such a huge part of it. Um, but, you know, word of mouth is, is really the most effective form of marketing, um, you know, and the more people we have out there that are, you know, smoking the product and, and posting the product, you know, that's really how it, it has grown and, and gets across to uh, our new retailers as well. You know, most new retailers we have have come to us saying, you know, I see your stuff everywhere. I see people smoking it. So, you know, I got to see what it's all about. So that's been the, the big thing for us in terms of marketing. And uh, off of that subject, like, do reviews matter a lot to you? Like you said, retailers sometimes come to you. Like, where are they finding? Are they just finding you on uh, social media? Or are they looking at their customers, seeing what they're smoking? And then they kind of approach you from Yeah, I think, it's a, it, I think it's a mix of both. Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. You know, we have people posting stuff and, you know, literally hundreds of different cigar groups that different people are affiliated with and things like that. And, uh uh, reviews, eh, I don't really, I don't really pay much attention. So it's, I, I think the days of reviews have kind of come and gone. I don't know that there are that many consumers out there that place that much importance on them. You know, if you like the cigar, mm -hmm. you like the cigar, 
if not, you know, you move on to something else. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously nice to get a great review, uh, but, you know, I don't really base a whole lot of merit on that. Yeah, I always find, like I said, reviews for me are tricky because I feel like it'll be based on my palette or whoever's reviewing it and their palette. And you're all starting off at different paces. Um, you know, something that I might like, you know, somebody who's been smoking for two decades or more might say that's like, you know, some nuance that I wouldn't even pick up on. So I always find reviews kind of tricky to, to navigate because I never know how to, like you said, how much merit can you put into it without knowing the complete backstory right. or even sometimes seeing the tasting notes because of some reviews, um, some websites and media people are really good about showing you their notes and what they thought about each area of the cigar. And then others are just like, here's a picture of the cigar. Here's a wrapper binder filler. Great. And that's supposed to be like the whole review. Right. And I don't feel, I don't feel like that's ever a real review at all. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, you know, I, I, my background is from the wine industry and, you know, similar thing there where reviews carry a lot of weight uh, in the wine industry, you know, but I think uh, to me, the big difference is, is that in the wine industry, the people that are generating the reviews and doing the publications, these guys have devoted their life to it. You know what I mean? They've spent more time in wine growing regions and learning about, you know, grape varietals and all this stuff, you know, a lot of times just as much as a winemaker. Whereas, you know, when it comes to cigars, I personally haven't met the guy that spent, you know, a couple of years in SLE that I can put down five different tobaccos in front of him. He can smoke them blind and tell me exactly what they are. And, you know, and until I meet that guy, uh, it's just kind of like, whatever, you know, you either like cigar or you don't, but you don't really have the education in tobacco to back up, you know, a review that should carry a lot of weight, you know. It's funny that you just mentioned the, the wine because I've, I've found, in the, especially in the last couple of weeks of doing these talks with people, that there are so many people who come into the cigar industry having a, a wine background. So why do you think that is? Um, you know, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. I think it's the same with spirits as well. You know, I mean, we all have our vices, but it's, uh, you know, something that you kind of, I think if you spend a lot of time in those individual industries, you end up running into people that are into both. And it kind of, you know, that's what happened to me is, you know, I worked, uh, as a sommelier for a lot of years and I ended up working at this restaurant in Tucson, Arizona where, you know, I had been a casual cigar smoker kind of off and on, but the owner of the restaurant owned a chain of cigar stores as well. Um, and so through wine, I met him and spent a lot of time with him who, you know, kind of transitioned me into cigars as a more serious, you know, passion and, and really opened my eyes to what cigars could be. So I think there's just a lot of transition between those different, those same types of industries, you know. When it came time to create that first black label trading company cigar, what what were you hoping to achieve? Like, what was your process like? I just really wanted to make a cigar that I liked, you know, something that I wanted to smoke every day. Um, you know, and at that time, I was really focused on kind of highlighting the, the boldness, the, the richness of Nicaraguan tobacco. You know, I wanted a very bold kind of in-your-face cigar. Um, and so the first cigar that I did on my own 
uh, ended up being the last rites. So that cigar has always been really special to me because that was kind of the cigar that I created for my personal palate at that time of trying to, you know, figure out exactly what Black Label was going to be. So that was kind of the, the starting point uh, was that cigar. And then how many like test blends did you go through before you finally got to that final blend that you're like, this is it, this is what I'm looking for? Um, quite a few. Yeah. I mean, I would say pretty much every cigar that we've put out for production over the years, it, a lot goes into it. So, you know, numerous test blends and then those get tweaked and changed over time. You know, once they've spent time in the aging room, you know, we, we come back to everything, you know, three months later, four months later to see what it is. And, you know, then it's a matter of, okay, cool. We're moving forward with it. Or it's kind of, okay, we need to tweak this, tweak that. And then it's, you know, starting that whole process over again. So it just depends on the cigar, but I mean, on average, you know, I would say minimum six to eight months to really hammer out a blend to exactly what we want it to be um, before it goes into production. And what would you say is like the best selling or the most popular black label cigar right now? Um, you know, in black label, out of our, our core line, which are the, you know, the five lines that we have on the shelves of the stores, you know, all day, every day, Last Rites is definitely the number one, um, you know, and it, once again, it's kind of the bigger, bolder, darker uh, flavor profile of what we do in the core line. Um, with the Blackworks Studio stuff, it's kind of always up and down between Green Hornet and uh, Killer Bee. Um, so those are, are kind of on par, um, but both of those are hugely popular. And then when it comes to our limited stuff, um, it would have to be the Bishop's Blend. So the Bishop's Blend, which comes out every year, uh, I'm smoking the new 2020 now. Um, that cigar, from the minute it was first released back in 2016, has just always been a huge hit for us. So, um, you know, people are always seeking that one out and super excited when it comes out every year. Um, and it's a great cigar. I mean, I think it's a cigar that I definitely couldn't have made you know, seven years ago when we started, it's kind of an example of everything I learned over time. So, you know, rightly so that it is one of our most popular. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And, and you, you just mentioned like Black, um, Black Work Studio. And I don't think a lot of people know the, the, the difference between Black Work Studio and Black Label. So how did, what is Black Work Studio? How did it come about? How does it kind of fit into the whole black label trading company kind of scheme. Yeah. So the idea behind it uh, was basically, you know, we, like I said, we started black label in late 2012, early 2013, we started getting out there. Um, the idea with black label was yes, it was going to be different. Yes. It was going to be edgy. Um, but we also wanted to have a very wide variety in our portfolio in terms of people's, you know, smoking preference, you know, so we have a lot of different, Rappers, we have a lot of different profiles going on with Black Label. And, you know, for lack of a better term, I would say out of the two brands, it's going to be the more mainstream of what we do. Um, then when we started our own factory in 2015, um, I had a lot of blends that I had been working on, just some different ideas. Um, and they didn't necessarily fit within the Black Label portfolio at that time. And so, I decided to, to launch Blackwork Studios, which, you know, as the name says, it, we treat our factory 
pretty much like a studio, you know, it's all about new ideas and, and trying different stuff. And so the idea behind Blackworks was it's kind of like the boutique within the boutique, you know, it's the, the micro brand. Um, and so we wanted to do cigars that were more geared towards, you know, cigar enthusiasts, cigar nerds. Uh, so very limited numbers of Vitolas on the stuff that we do, you know, and they're all going to be in the smaller Vitola range, you know, which I personally like a lot. Um, you know, and then we, we wanted to create cigars that highlighted the artisanal qualities of cigar making of what our rollers could do, what our factory could do. Um, and then we came up with unique ideas like the killer bee and the green Hornet, you know, with the linear caps and things like that. Um, so it's all very small batch, all black works is done in hundred box batches. Um, it's not limited, but when it's available, it's available. When it's not, it's not, you know, we don't, we don't rush anything and we take our time with it. And it's a much slower process, um, making those cigars. So that's kind of the difference between the two, you know, black label is going to be the more, you know, quasi mainstream, whereas black works is going to be kind of the micro brand doing just really small batch, unique, interesting stuff. And I like that micro batch kind of approach, because if you look at a lot of, uh, like the craft beer industry. I mean, there's so much creativity there, but making that kind of a limited run product um, also kind of creates a demand among your consumers because they're not, you know, it's not like it's going to be out there on the market forever. So kind of makes them, you know, push right. it and pushes it, them more into the brick and mortars to actually get that product, knowing that, you know, if they don't hurry up, then you know, it's not going to be one of those things where five months later, it, it might still be sitting there. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, that that philosophy, that system has worked really well with us, you know, with Blackworks, as well as with our limited releases that are, you know, come out annually, annually every year. You know, we keep the production very small, kind of let the tobacco dictate what the size of production is going to be. You know, when they're around, they're around. When they're gone, they're gone. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. So. Now, what made you decide to start your own factory? Because I'm finding it interesting because it seems like a lot of the boutique companies kind of um, come across this idea like we, we'll be better off starting our own factory rather than relying on somebody else. But it's, it's definitely not yeah, I mean, I think an easy undertaking, I would take it. It's not like an easy like, oh, you know, let's just start our own factory. <laughs> No, I mean, as hard as running a cigar brand is, running a factory is going to be a hundred times more difficult. Um, but we, we did it for two reasons. One reason was um, when we started, uh, we were working with another factory. Um, we were not happy with the product that was coming out. You know, we had made arrangements to procure our own tobacco you know, use only a certain group of rollers, all of these things to make sure that the product was what it was supposed to be. Um, and so several issues later, you know, we actually ended up getting in a huge uh, shipment of cigars that we literally had to throw away. Um, so at that point, you know, we were like, and it was a lot of money, you know, and we were still a very, very small brand at that time. And, and you know, you're looking at this amount of money that we're losing. And so at that point it was like, look, either we're done or we're all in. So these are the two options, you know, um, if we move forward, then we really have to do it ourselves. Um, because of that reason, the secondary reason is, you know, I don't feel like you get, I would never be able to be as creative as I am um, in our own factory. You know, I mean, I, to be able to, to put out the product we want to pr 
put out and to control every single aspect of the process um, is the most important thing, you know, and for us, people ask me all the time, like, what makes your brand different? And that's the number one thing. That's what makes us different is that we own our process. We live here. We're there, you know, full time. This is what we do is make cigars, you know, and then I think in a lot of ways uh, around that, we're very different than most brands our size on the market and, and earlier you you referred to yourself as a, a boutique brand and i've I always um have troubles with that label because we you know in the magazine world we sit around we say what makes somebody boutique is it how many cigars they make a year is it their the size is it the fact that they're not one of the big four or five companies you know in the industry so how do you define boutique i define it by what we do you know, I mean, here's the thing is, you know, there's a difference between, you know, owning your brand and owning your, your product. You know, we own our product. We own the factory. We own the tobacco. We know exactly what's going in, what's going on on a day to day basis, you know, and and we know why our product is different. I can tell you exactly why our product is different. I can tell you exactly what tobacco is being used in there because I buy it. You know what I mean? Like. Um, so I think that's the thing is there's, you know, there's brands out there that their product is manufactured in a very large factory right next to mass produced cigars. And there's not a whole lot that differentiates that product into being a boutique other than the brand calls themselves a boutique, you know, um, whereas I feel like our situation is much different, you know, because we do own our process. And, you know, I think that's the big difference is, you know it's not how many cigars you make it's the quality of cigars you make do you think boutique brands get the credit that they deserve in the industry or you think they kind of get overlooked or kind of lost in the shuffle sometimes um i think it's changing a lot you know i mean i think in the industry right now when it comes to brands like ours brands our size you know we're all fighting for literally like a percent of a percent of cigar consumers because the big bulk, you know, the 99% of cigar consumers still to this day are, you know, the guy that walks in that's been smoking the same cigar for 20 years and, you know, he buys a box every two weeks or whatever it is. And he doesn't really follow the industry. He doesn't care about the industry. He just smokes cigars, you know? So I think you have those guys that make up a huge majority of the cigar industry. And then you have everybody else, you know, whereas you have consumers that do follow the industry, they follow social media, they know what's happening in the cigar world, they know what new brands are new releases. Um, and although that is a very, very small percent right now, um, I think it's definitely growing, you know, you mentioned craft beer earlier, I think there's definitely a, a, a correlation there, where, you know, 10 years ago, Budweiser never thought they would lose 30% of a cold case to microbrews. Whereas, you know, same thing. A lot of these big guys in the cigar industry never thought they'd lose 30% of a humidor to small brands, but it's happening, you know? And I think the more consumers become educated about cigars, educated about tobacco, you know, the more they want to know what they're smoking and where it comes from and who's making it. And, and you know, all those details that, that really kind of paint the picture and tell the story of the product. And that's what these guys are into. And, you know, these are the younger guys and they're definitely coming on strong and they're seeing more and more and more of it. And so, you know, I would say in the next few years, you're definitely going to see a huge increase um, in 
those types of consumers, you know, which is great for brands like ours. And, and for brands, I mean, do you think it's important to kind of have a face for the brand? Like you said, somebody that they can actually relate to, or are you more for the approach where you just have a product and all the focus is on that product? I think it can go both ways. You know, I think that, you know, uh, people like to have somebody to relate to, um, and it works well, it works well for us. Um, but you know, even outside of myself, that's what I was saying kind of about the lifestyle thing. Like I want each cigar to have its own kind of identity. I want it to tell its own story, have its own, uh, imagery. Um, you know, and I think that's really what people kind of, uh, relate to. And, and, you know, they, they see something that sparks their interest, they smoke it, they like it, and it kind of works all together. Um, so I, I don't think it singularly has to do with the, the brand owner being the face. I think the brand also has to have, you know, uh, good branding that really can relate to people and stand up on its own. Um, so it's kind of a mix of the two. And, and how has the industry kind of changed um, since you first, when you first got into it to today? Because I know you said consumers are basically becoming a lo lot more savvy and invested in their brands and knowing more about the tobaccos and the uh, history of the brands and the stories behind the brands. So how, how else has the industry kind of changed? Um, you know, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's been seven years and I mean, we've seen a lot of people come and go, um, you know, and it's, it's thankfully becoming a bit more uh, friendly to smaller size brands, you know, not to use the word boutique, but it just smaller size brands, you know, retailers have seen a lot of other retailers be successful with it and they're more willing to try it. Um, you know, but when we started seven years ago, I mean, it was, it was so much tougher, you know, to trying to convince somebody to, to try something that they've never heard of to, you know, pull product from a, a known kind of staple brand to try something new and different and from a small company. Um, so I think, I think the big thing is, is that, you know, the guys that weren't serious about it have kind of gone away and the, the people that were, you know, into it and living it and doing their thing, they're all still here and they've shown that boutiques can sustain. These brands are going to be around, you know, we can keep kind of, uh, quieted a lot of those fears that retailers had early on. And so I think we're, we're definitely going to hopefully continue to see that change. And so you seem to be in contact and connecting with the, the retailers on a regular basis. So what are, what are you hearing from retailers about the industry right now? Like what are they looking for from their manufacturing partners? Um, I think a huge thing is, is, you know, being able to rely on the product, having the product there when they need it. Um, that's always a big thing. You know, we're very, very focused on keeping stuff in stock. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, you got to be out there to, to kind of help promote these shops, promote these, these brick and mortars and, you know, get out there and do events and get to meet the customers, you know, and support them online through social media um, things of that nature, you know? And so I think that, you know, it's a, it's definitely a mutual relationship where, you know, we, we do our thing and, and do it the best that we can. And, you know, that helps our retailers and they do their thing and, you know, push the product. And so it's mutually beneficial. 
um, yesterday I was speaking to another kind of smaller company, boutique company, um, Crux Cigars, so Jeff from Crux. And we were talking about scaling because he was saying, you know, the biggest problem was for him initially was, I think, figuring out how to scale and how to keep things manageable so that he doesn't, like, get into so many shops that he can't keep up with the demand. So for you, I mean, do you have that same issue? Um, did you have to figure out how to scale your business in a way to kind of support, you know, you're in a different position because you also have a factory that you have to support. So how do you scale all those different components and pieces at the same time so that you're successful? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I mean, with the brands, you know, we've always, from the beginning, been very cautious of trying to grow too fast. You know, obviously you, you want the growth, um, but you want to be able to, to, to maintain it um, and sustain the accounts that you have. Um, so yeah, that's always something that is in the back of our head, even today, you know, I mean, we're constantly looking at, you know, what new accounts are we going to bring in? What does the account look like? You know, I mean, it's great to get shops to want to order, you know, whatever, however many hundred of boxes at a time, but is that the route we want to go at this time? Is it going to cause problems with other things? So that's always something that we're focused on. And it is a, a slow kind of gradual process, you know, because you, you want to be able to keep up. You want to keep everybody happy, um, you know, and you don't want to, you know, put more stuff over here and then not have product for this person. So we definitely try to keep up with that. Um, the other side on the, the manufacturing side, you know, is um, with with a brand like ours, we we're, we know what our plateau is. So from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, there's only so much of the tobacco that we use for our product, you know, and at some point uh, in the very near future, we're going to hit our plateau. Um, and that's a very comfortable place for us to be. Um, but, you know, at that point you have to decide, you know, do you keep the product the same or does quality go down to create more product? Um, but every, every manufacturer has to kind of, make that decision at some point, you know, and we know when that is. Um, and like I said, it's a comfortable spot for us, so we don't ever have to try to go above that. Um, but, you know, so we, we, we try to work with the brands and the factory in conjunction to keep things exactly where we want them for this year. Um, then we look at next year, do our projections of what the, the growth is going to be um, and kind of, you know, tailor it all together to, so that it kind of moves forward uh, in a unified fashion. And one of the questions I always like to ask entrepreneurs like you is, you know, if you had to go back or if you could go back to the version of you that's first started this whole venture, like what, what one lesson would you kind of bestow on your younger self about what you've learned over the past couple of years? Um, yeah, I would say the one lesson that I learned is, you know, and I think it's a good one. And I think that, you know, people should, should kind of, you know, live on the edge a little bit more, you know, for me, ignorance is bliss. You know, like I said, when we started, we knew nothing about the cigar industry. So, I mean, it's, I would just say that, you know, just go for it. And, you know, it's, it's never going to be what you plan it out to be. It's never going to cost what you think it's going to cost. It's always going to be way more headache and cost way more than you could ever imagine. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's worth it, you know? where do you hope to kind of take black label? Do you have a, are you one of those people who have like a five year plan or you just kind of, you, you go with the flow, see where it happens. You have a 10 year plan. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we did have a lot of plans until the, you know, the FDA thing and all right. that. So with that kind of weird limbo going on, it's really tough to to even talk about a year from now or two years from now. But I mean, uh, kind of our goal has always been to, you know, create a brand that that is out there that, you know, for lack of a better term, more of one of the, we want Black Able to be more of a staple boutique brand. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason for us not to be in somebody's humidor. Um, I think we offer a really unique product and, and a re really unique um, brand that um, should definitely be represented in, in people's stores. And so that was, that's kind of our goal is to just continue to grow it and, you know, have it available for, for everybody, no matter where they are uh, in the country. Now, am I right in thinking that, that you do the artwork for your, your brand as well? Yes, I do all the artwork. So you have like hands like everywhere. <laughs> you you want to like yeah, it's because <laughs> I know that there's some you know when you le read the books about business, then you know there's some people who say you need to kind of like let go of certain areas, but you seem to like to have, like I said, the hand in like every area so that to keep like you said the control and the quality. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think my most important role in this company is being here in Nicaragua, you know, and for me at heart, I'm a cigar maker, you know, the brands are great. I love the brands, but at the end of the day, I just want to be creative and make cigars, you know, and, and what comes with that is kind of the, you know, the development of the identity of the cigar, you know, what's it going to be called, what's the imagery going to be, you know, so for me, all of that goes hand in hand. Um, and so I really enjoy that that's that's probably my favorite thing about what i do is to be able to you know create a product um with its own identity and get it out there and get people to to try it and smoke it and relate to it and you know um thankfully people really enjoy the imagery and the branding and um you know so that to me is my most important role and then the other side of that is you know the u.s side where you know i am out there on the road and doing events and meeting people and the trade show and, and all that uh, sort of business side of it. So, so how has this latest situation, the coronavirus kind of affected you and your marketing plans or your travel plans? Because I know it was unexpected for, for many of us. So many of us have been under stay at home orders. Um, like you've experienced, you've had to kind of put a pause on your business just for a little while, just to kind of let things, um, smooth out. So, so how has it affected you personally? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, it's been a negative for us, the same as anybody else, you know, I mean, we hate to see our retailers not be able to do business. And, you know, like I said, we had to, you know, shut down the factory for about three weeks. Um, you know, getting back into things, we hope that things kind of progress in a positive way so that we don't have to look at, you know, possibly closing again or laying off anybody, you know, we'd hate to, to have to be in that position. Um, you know, obviously travel plans have all been put on hold in terms of events and being on the road, you know, all of our sales reps, those guys are all uh, stuck at home as well. You know, the other thing is the trade show is a huge question mark. You know, we haven't really, uh, you know, figured out what exactly is going on with that. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty much everything in terms of events, trade show, all that has been, you know, put on hold. We have no idea what to expect for the rest of the year uh, in regards to that. And then the other thing is, you know, 
our cigar releases. You know, we have a lot of limited releases that come out kind of monthly, bi-monthly um, that have all been put on hold as well. So at this point, we really don't even know what's going to be coming out this year versus what we had planned. You know, we just kind of unfortunately have to take it day by day and see how things progress before we can, you know, make those decisions and, and see what's going to happen. I mean, I, I know from looking at all the media talk last night, I know um, Cigar Coop did a big article about the Venetian and his thoughts on the trade show. So how do you feel about the trade show as a manufacturer? Because the trade show is a big part of, of everybody's marketing plans for like the whole year. Um, so how do you feel, you know, going into it as it is? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, we've always had an extremely successful trade show, you know, every year has just been better and better. Um, even, you know, with whatever the, the numbers of attendees going down or whatever the case may be, you know, we've always done really, really well at the show. So um, I'd love for the show to be able to go on, but I'd love for it to be able to go on in its normal fashion, which I just don't think is possible, you know, and I think that, the idea of retailers financially being able to, uh, you know, make that expense so soon just doesn't seem like a reality to me. Um, you know, outside of all the, you know, everybody being in a casino and however many thousands of people or whatever. Um, I just think the reality of retailers, you know, being able to do that right now this year just doesn't seem, doesn't seem doable to me. So, I mean, my personal opinion, I think it'd be better if it was either canceled or postponed. I mean, I just think it'd be better for everyone involved. Um, you know, it'd be better for us where we feel like we're not, you know, taking a loss for, for not being there if they continue with it. Um, it'd be better for the retailers. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed, it, to me, it doesn't make sense, you know, thinking that it's only two months out right now. Yeah, I mean, and even, if we do have a trade show, would you have product available for the trade show? I guess samples, and then um, would it delay how you would be able to ship? You know, when you would be scheduled to ship those products to your retail partners? Yeah, it's. I don't know. It, it'd be one of those things where I don't think we'd have to worry about that, just because I don't think the attendance would be there to warrant a lot of sales. You know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tricky situation. So, but, you know, tomorrow's May. So I feel like we all need to get some type of clarity, <laughs> you know, on it, because it just yeah. takes a lot of planning um, on the manufacturer's part and even, you know, on the attendee part to, um, you know, to make an appearance at a trade show. So I'm hoping, um, you know, Absolutely. like I said, I mean it's a new month as of tomorrow. So I'm hoping we'll get some yeah, I wish the Sands would just cancel it. I mean, to be honest, I think that'd be the easiest solution. You know, that way there's no, you know, no, no, nobody, you know, putting the guilt on PCA and things like that. And it would just be the easiest, cleanest way out, you know, in my opinion. But I, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows. I think that's the that's the scary part. But that's that's been the situation not only with the trade show, but just in the last couple of months. There's so many unknowns that it's just uh it's kind of shaking the industry down right now because nobody knows how how to move forward or really how to plan when 
plans could easily change, you know, week by week. So it's a really weird time yeah. to be in the industry. Yeah, I mean, what I can say is that for the last three weeks, it has been a daily topic of discussion in my company of, you know, what's going to happen with the trade show. What's the plan if they do go forward? What's the plan if they don't? So, you know, we're like, like you said, we're all just kind of waiting to see exactly what they're going to say. So, I mean, with that and with everything going on, I mean, what can you say about plans for Black Label in 2020? Uh, well, you know, we've we've got some cool stuff lined up. You know, we were going to have a, uh, a trade show exclusive. Uh, we normally do that every year. Um, obviously, if something happens with the trade show, uh, we will still be getting that cigar out. Um, you know, just obviously we'll, we'll have a different, uh, different scenario set up to it. Um, so we have that coming up. That's going to be a Blackworks, uh, cigar. We also have another cool Blackworks project, uh, kind of tied in with the bees and hornets that we're looking to get out this summer as well. Um, and then also a new black label, uh, the super deluxe, uh, that's slated to be releasing very soon as well. So, uh, we also have Bishop's Blend. You know, the 2020 release of Bishop's Blend is in the U.S. at our distributor, just kind of waiting for for your shops to be able to uh, reopen a little bit and, and be a little busier to get that out to those guys. So, yeah, we definitely got stuff ready to go. You know, it's all just a matter of pulling the trigger on it, on exactly when uh, it's going to be released. So since we have a few minutes left, I mean, just some, some off-topic conversation um, issues. So what have you been doing while kind of quarantined? Have you taken up any, uh, not hobbies, but have you looked into doing anything that you maybe um, have been putting off? I mean, nothing outside the norm. I mean, our life is pretty chill. I mean, we're in uh, San Juan del Sur, which is in the south of Nicaragua. So it's a, it's a pretty sleepy little beach town. Um, which is even more sleepy now that, you know, shops and restaurants and all that are closed. So, I mean, we've really just been kind of chilling, you know, I've been working on a lot of back end stuff, you know, with the new, the new products that are coming out. So finalizing artwork, uh, labels and boxes, things like that. Um, that's kind of been the business end of it. And then personally, you know, uh, we have a 12 year old son and so he's doing all of his school from home now. And so, you know, we're kind of just doing that daily it's been just pretty laid back, you know, um, not too much going on. Um, is, is he usually doing a, a, a homeschool kind of situation or is this new for you all? Cause I know a lot of parents, it's new. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of parents are having to adapt to this, um, you know, doing their job plus being the teacher and, and you know, the, the, it's, it's just a big change. I know it could be a challenge to get, everything done and and separating that family life from the work life when you are just at home having to work and and still be productive yeah no definitely no i mean he's normally on a, a regular you know 30 to 30 school schedule so he uh he goes to an international uh american school here um so yeah uh, kind of that transition i think it's been a little bit tougher for him than it has been for us you know not being able to to see his friends daily and stuff like that um he also you know did a lot of sports and surfing and stuff and so putting all that on hold has been a real downer as well um 
you know, but hopefully things here, you know, we haven't had any cases where we are. So, um, you know, we're hoping that things can kind of start to get a little bit more back to normal, um, hopefully sooner than later. I know his school, they're not going to be going back until maybe the beginning of June, maybe, and then maybe not even that. So, um, but hopefully, you know, some of the just regular getting out and doing stuff type things we'll, we'll be able to do pretty soon. And once quarantine is over and you can travel, you know, do you have a, a first destination you would like to, to go outside of Nicaragua? Um, I'm just ready to get on the road. You know, it's like, especially if the trade show isn't happening, um, you know, I just want to get out there with our reps and, you know, start seeing people and, and, you know, seeing how they're doing and, and trying to, you know, just see our customers, see our retailers. So I'll probably go make the rounds um, through the States as soon as I can. And then we also have a big Hawaii event that we do every year um, with our field. Tentatively, that's scheduled for July as well. So we'll see how that goes. And hopefully, you know, there's no issues with that. And we'll get out there and, and put on a good event uh, for those guys. Um, and yeah, so it's just, like I said, we're, we're kind of to the point of having to reevaluate our whole schedule for the year. But, um, you know, as soon as we can, we definitely want to get out there and be on the road and, and you know, start selling cigars.